Blog Talk Radio. My body, my mind, my choice. To wear the clothes I like even as my spirit roams naked. My choice. To be a size 0 or a size 15. They don't have a size for my spirit. And never will. To use cotton and silk to trap my soul is to believe you can halt the expansion of the universe. Or capture sunlight in the palm of your hand. Your mind is caged. Let it free. My body is not. Let it be. My choice. To marry or not to marry. To have sex before marriage. To have sex outside of marriage. To not have sex. My choice. To love temporarily or to lust forever. My choice. To love a man or a woman or both. Remember, you are my choice. I'm not your privilege. The bindi on my forehead, the ring on my finger, adding your surname to mine, they're ornaments. They can be replaced. My love for you cannot. So treasure that. My choice. To come home when I want. Don't be upset if I come home at 4 a.m. Don't be fooled if I come home at 6 p.m. My choice. To have your baby or not. To pick you from 7 billion choices or not. So don't get coffee. My pleasure may be your pain. My song, your noise. My odor, your anarchy. Your sin, my virtue. My choices are like my fingerprints. They make me unique. I am the tree, not the forest. I am the snowflake, not the snowfall. You are the snowflake. Wake up. Get out of the shitstorm. I choose to empathize. Or to be indifferent. I choose to be different. I am the universe. Infinite in every direction. This is my choice.
Hello. Hello, everybody. Greetings to everybody. As always, we'd like to give you all a warm, warm welcome to today's show. I'm your host, of course, Faith, and you are hanging out with us live on Her Story 2. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> hey, Christina, be Hey, Shazad. Is that Sean? Okay. Well, hey, everybody. Today we have a special guest, y'all, so bear with me. She'll be joining us in a bit. Um, yes. Greetings to all our guests, all our listeners. Big shout out to all our friends and family over there in Twitter, Twitter world, and all our friends on Facebook and Instagram. We absolutely love you all. As always, we're glad that you guys are hanging out with us live on today's show, and we're definitely looking forward to taking your calls as well. We'd like to hear from you as well. You know how we do. So I'll go ahead and give you the calling number, which is 515-602-9735. That is the number to call. Remember, everybody, if you're calling from outside the U.S., you need to dial the U.S. country code, and then that should get you right in. Okay, guess who's hanging out with us? We're hanging out with a special guest, Nani Matu, and the founder of Project ASI, Ali Matu Dimonekana. And um, we'll tell you a little bit about her just in a bit. I just need to give everybody all those, you know, directions to be able to find their way here. And you all need to let me know, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, um... Okay, yes. If you want to join the chat, um, um, you just need to come on over to um, www.blogstalkradio.com forward slash her story too. And then you have to click on the link that says sign up. And that will get you right in, guests, and um, Christina and, and Meyer. Okay, you can actually do both. Okay, so welcome, everybody. I'm here um, hanging out with a special guest. Um, I told you we're hanging out with the founder of Project A, Sayalimatu Dimoneke, and um, she's here with us. She's an advocate for women and girls. She works um, in the area of FGM, child marriage, early marriage, and other forms of gender-based violence. So, um, yes, 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 it's, it's a whole lot of, yes, it's a broad field, yes. Um, so let's see if she's here with us, and, and let me know if you can hear her. Alimatu? Hello, good evening from London, snowy UK. Oh, yes, it's snowing here as well in Denmark, so we're in the same boat, man. <laughs> I know, we have some listeners from California, and they never seem to talk about snow, so, you know, I don't know about you all, you know, y'all just need to bear with us. And we're very optimistic, so we do get like a glimpse of sun, but it's that kind of sun that just kind of, you know, it's like peekaboo, and then it disappears. It disappears, but, but I love the snow. <laughs> you love the snow. Look at that. I know. I know. I mean, I haven't been in the for so long in Africa, but when I Anyway, Alimatu, it's such 
want to just say a little bit about this amazing woman. You know, we, we just, you know, the world is a village, y'all. So we're glad that we bumped into her profile and we had to invite her on the show. She is, um, I told a little bit about her background. She's working in the area of FGM. FGM is genital mutilation. I know it sounds very, oh, but we have to talk about it. And um, she's also the winner of True Hero Award 2015 for her work in tackling FGM. Ali Matu has used her experiences as, as an FGM survivor in working extensively with key agencies, including the UN Women UK, the Home Office, Metropolitan Police, NHS, and the NSPCC. She's also worked with a number of respected authorities and media partners for the dedicated safeguarding girls and women at risk. She plans to extend her work and become much more active in Sierra Leone, um, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Liberia, supporting communities with strategies for eliminating violence against women and girls. So this topic and her work is why we're here today. We're talking about this today. And um, Ali before you, we just dive right into today's discussion, I just want to welcome our co-host, Shaz. Shaz, are you there with us? I think I should. Yes, hello. How are you? Shaz, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? I'm here. Can you? I don't know if you can hear me. Hello? <laughs> can you hear me, Shaz? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, okay. So Shaz can hear, can hear us. Can you hear Alimata? Well, say something, Shaz. Yeah, but I just said something. Can you okay. hear me? Can you hear me? No, we can't Hello? hear you. We can't hear you. No, we can't hear Shaz either. Can you hear Alimatu? Yes. You can hear Alimatu? Okay. Well, she can hear you just fine. Okay, so we'll go ahead. Okay, I think we'll just start right from the beginning. You know, what is, um, what is FGM? What is female genital mutilation? Well, female genital mutilation, it's an ancient practice. Okay. It predates Islam and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's a practice which is predominantly, obviously, mm-hmm. by its name, done to female. Now, it's the cutting or the partial removal of a female genital organ. Now, there are four types according to the United Nations. The first one, which is clitoridectomy, which is usually partially or totally, not always the case, where the clitoris of a girl, child, or a woman is either removed, cripped, um, and tapped. Sometimes it's nipped, as you heard in the sort of the California-type operation, or just slightly cut off. The hood is what is usually taken off because we have, in terms of women um, um, anatomy, the clitoris is like an umbrella, closed umbrella, and all you see is the top of the, the head of it, of it. And type 2, which is excision, which is mainly what's done in West Africa, Central Africa, um, which is usually the cutting of the lips of the, the, the vagina called the labia. There are two types, the inner lip and the outer lip. The inner lip is labia majora. The outer lip is labia minora, so sometimes that's removed, and mm-hmm. it's removed. And then type three, which is usually what takes place in um, East uh, part of Africa, 
the Middle East, which is type three called uh, uh, the infibulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 sorry, infibulation. Sorry, this is done in Somalia, Kenya, Tanzania, Djibouti, Egypt, and some parts of um, uh, Turkey among the Kurdish Kurdish community, where the girls' genital organs sometimes not always the lips are removed or the clitoris is removed and the skin falls together and it's sewn and a tiny opening is left for females to either have a, a, a menstrual flow or urinate. So it's sealed really tight. In fact, the other name for it is the pharaonic type. Obviously, some people believe it, it originated from e- Egypt. So it's called the pharaonic type. And then you have type 4, where these are no other categories. There's no categories for it. So you have the likes of the pulling, which usually happens in Uganda, in some parts of Southern Africa, Botswana or Mozambique, where the lips of the vagina are pulled so that you have elongated skin hanging on the female um, uh, genitalia. Now, in the United Kingdom, that is also FGM, that's female genital mutilation. And obviously, you have the other types, like the studs, tattooing, piercing, when some people put rings on. is actually typing and saying, so with all these horrific things happening, why do they continue this crazy practice? Those are just the exact direct words that Christina wrote. With all these things that are happening, the death, the infections affecting your childhood, fertility, bleeding to death, how is it that these communities that practice at GM can still continue to practice it? Um, it it's very complex. In many, many communities, obviously, 
in fact, the way FGM is done in many communities, including mine, it's not actually done to punish a girl or to actually control their sexuality. The, the belief is that um, you are married material mm-hmm. and that my girl is special and that she is unique amongst all the other girls and she will stand out because it's, it's on a narrative of um, um, chastity, controlling virginity, that you have a contro- uh, sex before marriage. So all of these things in some communities where FGM exists makes the girl child very special. Now, whether the girl child is a very infant child or a baby, or an adult, or a teenager, it doesn't matter. What matters most for these communities and why is the practice continues, because the girl or the girl child is seen as a commodity, you know, unique in, in, in some ways, but what will bring us honor, what will restore our status in our community, that she's a special girl, she didn't have sex before marriage, so any man who will marry her will have more respect for her. But unfortunately, that is not the case. In many of the cases where FGM exists, mm. the woman is not given back her honor. Why neither is she restored and be made whole in her community? She suffers as a result of the community and what the pressure of the community is on that woman. Because woman is sort of seen mm. as the, in terms of the context of femininity, in terms of sexuality, everything boils down to the conduct of the woman. So why FGM exists in certain communities, including mine. So a lot of the communities do it out of love and thinking that we're doing the right thing for the woman or the girl child, but in fact they're not. And it conforms to all the other stereotypes that the systems of belief, misogyny, patriarchal, uh, 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 um, sexual gender-based mm-hmm. violence, if you want to look at it in some cases, actual violence in a way to say to women, you have to remain in a situation, either be married to this person and you will not leave. If you take the type three, for example, you are physically restricted from not having marital sex or sex before marriage until you're married. And in some communities that in Sudan, Mali, the, the, the girl is killed and on the day of her marriage, she needs to be open. So it's a way for the man to prove that she's actually a virgin which in some ways a woman is penalized before she even um, gets into the sexual intercourse itself in some ways. Um, So it's very difficult. In some cases, uh, the girl child is who brings all the respect to a family and not so much as boys, because boys are seen as higher higher, um, characters in their community, leaders in their community, while a woman is seen as very docile, subservient to the, the husband or the male uh, sort of character in that family. Women have to bow to the, the male characters in that family, if I use that word for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, it, it falls within that context, yeah. um, which is why it has continued, because it's, it's power. It's based on power, control, and dominance. It's the dominant sex in most communities, mostly is the male. And in terms of politics, in terms of uh, women's status in their society, it's always governed by a male dominance. Yeah. And that's why this practice has existed. So it's taking away power from the woman or a girl child. Because if you, from an early age, a girl is told you are of no existence in our community yeah. until you be, become something or ascribe to this behavior or a cultural belief or practices that um, sort of, box 
to you or pay to you or maybe surround you with a, a notion that you have to be designed by what your community wants you to be. Yeah. So you I, cannot get out of it. Uh-huh. And you, were, you mentioned some of the health implications of this practice, but I was also just thinking of what are the, some of the psychological effects? You know, because you could survive it, but still I think there's an extreme amount of trauma that has happened, and I'm sure there is much more that would happen. You know, can you shed some light? And I'm just going to combine some two questions as well so that you can answer those because they're typing really fast. Um, <laughs> um, so they're asking which religion practices this, so I'm going to let you touch on that as well after you touch on the psychological effects, and why do these African countries continue to do this. So maybe you want to also touch on the fact that it's not just an African problem and maybe share some other parts of the world where this happens. So those are kind of three, three questions combined and you all continue to chat away. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Well, in terms of FGM, there is no religion that um, requires one to have FGM. There is none. And FGM is practiced by all faiths, including Christians, Muslims, non, non-religious, practice FGM. Uh, FGM is not an Islamic practice, even though in certain communities where this is very prevalent and very sort of uh, stands above every other cultural belief, it is not an Islamic practice. Uh, in terms of the psychological or the, the impact that FGM has, it ranges. I mean, you just have to see in the context, I can only speak in terms of my experience. I'm from Sierra Leone originally. And the practice of FGM is it's a very powerful uh, uh, practice. In fact, it's seen as empowering to women, believe it or not, mm-hmm. uh, because women see themselves. It's the only time women can come together, have a common voice and a common purpose, and can, in fact, in some cases, even demand for change, change in sort of crowning of a paramount chief, or even having a voice in how politicians are elected. The only problem, obviously, is, is that amongst those practices, there is one element, which is the cutting of the girl's genitalia. But in all other cases in Syria, FGM is sort of very paramount in a lot of things that people do. But in terms of trauma, in some cases, I mean, if you look at the practice of FGM, you have to open the legs of a girl, a girl child. So in many cases, that's the first time a woman, if we just use that word for now, or a girl, experiences sex. And it's usually forced. It's never talked about, so people don't know on the day, until the day it happens, what is going to be done. And even in some cases, women don't know that it's actually their genitals that will be cut. Sometimes they hear this cutting, they think, oh, it's just a scar, or maybe I'll be cutting something else, but it's still flesh and no anesthesia or anesthetic is used, no preparation. So obviously you're in shock. And you're being told to lie down sometimes. You, you, obviously, you're going to fight. If you think somebody's going to use a sharp blade to your body, you're going to resist. And in resisting, obviously, you have this reaction because it's a, it's a reaction. You react and you're traumatized. You're like, what is this? What's happening? And so you, you react. It's, it's a natural instinct that you have to fight back. And so those, if I just use that little bit of experience just for your um, audiences, Anybody, if you uh, find yourself in a situation where you cannot um, get out of, you're stuck, you, you, uh, you're caught between a, a very dangerous situation where people are surrounding you. If you're a child and you have all these grown-ups, adults around you, you're going to be frightened. So that fear goes into someone actually stays with you for the rest of your life. And we know psychiatrists, psychologists have said 
any impact, especially when it comes to sexual, physical, emotional, because these are all emotional, because then after you've experienced FGM, you probably are laying there in your pool of blood thinking, what has just happened to me? And that stays with you. Your reaction, your emotions, your, the way you see life in terms of what this is, stays with you for the rest of your life. And you cannot even try to begin to explain what it is because you're thinking, what has just happened here? So some children grow into adulthood and will never sort of figure out what has happened. It takes a long time. So some people, just the sight of knowing what has happened to them, the vision, the smell, with any other um, um, abuse, because FGM is abuse, F a child abuse. And in some cases, you have the betrayal of your family. You are told not to tell anybody. And we know if anybody tries to, in the UK, for example, if I were to run down my local high street, grab a baby from a pushchair, open that baby's nappy, and try and touch their private or their genitals, I will be listed on the sex offenders register for the rest of my life as a, a child abuser or a paedophile. So in some cases, when we talk to communities, we say, what narrative you are giving the girl child from an early age? If the community can come together, sometimes not one, two, crowds of women will gather around a very vulnerable young person, peering down, looking down into their vagina, that in itself is, is, is demeaning. That in itself is a violation. Because even as adult women, we don't like people looking down at our private parts. And so time and time, communities have used that as a way. So that even removes the pride of a woman. So you're a girl child, and you think, well, everybody has seen me down below. So you walk the streets, and you have no confidence. You're feeling everybody knows what I am. So even if you want to react against these very people, you can't because the most private, the most sacred of our being has been invaded by many people and they can do whatever they want to do because society says that's right. These are traditions that we have to uphold. And in, the, in, in, in many cases, women are victims in most cases of this practice. The men say, we don't know this has been done for us. Or the men say, we don't know we have to have a woman who has FGM. We just hmm. grew one day and they said, this is who we need to marry. So again, the contract there, men think they don't know and women think we're doing it for the men. And I just think if we look at it from that angle and say, would anybody like to see that happen day in and day out? And in some cases, we don't know what, because if I'm fighting and I'm struggling for you not to touch me down below and you have a knife in your hand or a blade or whatever you want to use to carry out the practice, you could injure somebody. And in some cases, many children have been damaged. And so that trauma also sets in because you think, what have I got down below? doesn't yeah. look like everybody else's. Yeah. So is, it, is, it, is there any religion, like, attachment to this? Is it? There's no religion. Yeah. There's no, no religion. It's just, um, obviously, people have religion because in most communities, people respect religion. Mm -hmm. People have great um, place of uh, religion in their life, so there's always a connection. And you find, in fact, you find in, in most communities, in controlling women and morality, which often is driven towards the side of women and not men, often uses religion. We use religion in how we comport ourselves. You're told if you if you're very, you have a woman. 
mm-hmm. promiscuous woman. Mm-hmm. But we know that's not true. In fact, in, in, in most cases, women who have been through FGM, because they feel betrayed, because they feel, well, actually, there's nothing for me to do, so I'm just going to go out there and I'll just do anything and do anything, which in some cases put people in really difficult situations. Further exploitation kicks in. So yeah, we educate communities that actually it's not the right thing if you think FGM would limit a girl's activity in terms of sexual activity. In fact, you'll be pushing her more because then she can't feel or have any pleasure with sex. So she does it in a way of retaliation because what we have put in her understanding is that uh, sex is bad, but sex is natural. We have to have sex. We are human beings. That's what we're here for. We were made through sex. And in, 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 in interaction, so that's how we children were conceived in the first place. Mm-hmm. So there's a taboo around sex, and there's a taboo around who does sex. I mean, it's forbidden for women to have sex, but it, how would we exist on the planet if we don't have sex? Yeah, and you know, when you mentioned the festival, you know, that takes place where, you know, it's kind of like an event where they're very proud about what's happening. They use it also as a bargaining tool to, you know, push forward their agendas. I was just thinking that it's a, such a, it's, it's, it's beginning to look like a double-edged sword, but how do you take away, you know, if you're telling these women in the communities that this is not good, to some of them they might interpret it, and correct me if I'm wrong, as you're taking away our bargaining chip, you know. And, and I'm also thinking, um, as you were talking, that, okay, this is wrong, women are dying, they're bleeding to death, there are health implications. This is something that you're putting forward as a way to celebrate. It's a big event where you come together and you you can achieve certain goals. But now the question is, does that make it even more difficult, you know, for somebody to intervene, you know, to end this age-old cultural tradition, you know, because, you know, there might be a backlash, you don't understand, you don't understand the culture, you know, you don't understand what it means to the community. Is there, pro- is there a challenge in, in that when you want to intervene? Hello? Oh, did nobody hear me? I can hear you. Oh, oh, now I can hear you. Could you hear me? Yes, I could. Okay, yeah.
if you look at it from that angle and you know that what you are doing is causing a pain and suffering in a girl's life, would you not want to find some other career or an unemployment in any case, maybe what you could do in your community? In most cases, when you put that to the, the people that practice, immediately they will tell you, no, I actually don't want to cause pain. And in fact, they will tell you, I don't even want to do this. But because communities are asking me to carry out these practices, and I have no income, and I have no job, I have to do it to supplement my income, because a lot of this is about income uh, making, you know. Yeah. So in some cases, alternative rights of passage, which, which you'll find a lot in Kenya, perhaps in Uganda, is giving these um, practitioners another means, other, to, other, other occupation for them to do. And sometimes it's about teaching girls, maybe helping families to, to, to create schools, to create um, uh, what would we call traditional um, trade, maybe tie-dyeing, maybe braiding of hair, maybe working in a farm. Yeah, diversify. Diversify. <laughs> yeah, look for other avenues. Yeah. somebody uh, yesterday and she actually told me uh, she works with menstruation and periods and she told me that a girl in school can actually increase a country's GDP by 2%. 2% is not check change. It's not petty cash. Israel, Georgia, 
I think even Russia, I read somewhere. Yeah, Ecuador, I think I read Peru, Panama. Yeah, so so we are not just talking about one geographical space. This is a global thing, and I think. gender-based violence, absolutely. Um, we, we need to start winding up. Um, yeah, but thank you so much. I mean, I, you know, the questions, really. I mean, there's so many. And I know this is a very, um, it's a very, one of those topics that is very new to a lot of people. They don't understand because of the, the, the you know, the, the, the scope of the intensity of the abuse. You know, and the trauma, and, and they don't understand why it still happens. So, it, you know, the questions are very much like, why, you know? Um, why can't they just stop? Why can't they see this? Why can't they save life? You know? Yeah, I think this is a healthy conversation, and to me, as an advocate and a campaigner against this, what I would like to sort of say is in sort of the minds of the audience, we can all be angry that this is happening, but until we begin to act and speak on behalf of the communities that are frightened, because in some cases, a lot of people are frightened to talk about this happening. But I think if we speak in a sort of common language, with an understanding that a lot of women are in pain because of this, and what are we going to do? Have healthy conversations amongst our communities, have healthy conversations like what we're doing now on the radio. And, and, and I mean, I don't tend to use words like horror, horrific, barbaric. Because we have to speak from an understanding where women who are going through this really would like to see some change. And the only way we would bring them on board and not leave anyone behind is to actually look at our sisters and our mothers and our young children, girl child, and say, you are part of our society. And look even into the eyes of the cousins. So many of these women, they themselves have been designed by misogyny, by patriarchy. Exactly. They don't understand it. And nobody wants their culture to be defined as barbaric or horrific. You have to be respectful, you know. actually find the good things in these cultures, which are many, these traditions, there are many good things that promote women and empower women. The only thing we're asking, let's stop um, harming our girls. These harmful traditional practices need to end, can be replaced with something that's very empowering. I mean, 
I have an event, for example, on the 15th of December in, the, in London, and it's about showing the courage that many women like myself have gone through in order to, to make our lives livable. It's not a, it's not an easy experience. And also, I'm not to talk about it, you know, it's immense bravery, you know. harassment now that is just yeah coming out in the flood in Kenya. That's another thing. You can still have this event, but just change the context. Drama, art, so many different things. Alimatu, we're about to be, you know, y'all, we'd love to hang out. <laughs> we have one minute on the clock. Alimatu, please tell us where we can find more information about your work. You have like a minute. I don't know how you're going to race through this amazing profile of yours. <laughs> Okay, bye-bye. I'll be a better man today.